Hey team, welcome to the Professionally Offensive Podcast. I'm your host, Joseph Cabrera. This is the spot where we provide raw, unfiltered insights from some amazing guests. Stand by, you're about to be offended in all the right ways. You know, as I was thinking about this pod, I wanted to pick your brain on because I know you get a lot of exposure to founders and, and just folks who are running companies and folks who already are successfully running them. I want to start kind of in the infancy stage of businesses. The one thing I want to pick your brain on a little bit is, have you seen patterns at all what makes certain founders good? And what I mean by good, I'm defining that specifically like can bring their company to go the distance or at least to the point where they feel like they can do a solid handoff to the next person. Because I do find in my experience, a lot of founders, I actually had someone say this the other day, I never heard it before. Another CEO friend of mine was like, it's founder's disease. And I was like, what the heck is that, man? He goes, well, you know how what happens, right? Like you get this brilliant idea, the vision comes to life, they're doing it a lot, but as soon as they get to step two, it begins mm-hmm. to implode on itself because that founder really didn't think about it as a business. They thought it much more of a creative project. So I'm curious from your mind, like what differentiates those people? Because in some ways there's beauty in the art that the founder has, but at the same time, it's really unfortunate that a lot of them can't bring it to that next step. Yeah. There's lots to unpack, I think. Um, yeah. For me, it starts with, uh, particularly when you see younger founders, um, you know, I spent all my career mostly in the tech sector. Um, so I see this a lot in the tech space. Understanding that building anything takes a long time. And, uh, you know, like the old adage of every overnight success is a seven years, you know, story in the making. Right. And I believe you had on your pod, you had a dear friend of mine, uh, Samantha Snapes, uh, building a incredible 3D printing company, but that company is also like a 10 year overnight success, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's exactly so that. it, understanding that it takes time. So then the question becomes, okay, so if you are, first of all, understanding that, but then the question becomes, how do you actually make sure as a founder, you've got the stamina to actually see that to fruition? And I think this has much more to do with um, a very deep belief, less a, an excitement about the space. I see a lot of people getting excited about something, but there's a difference between being excited about something and being willing to put the work in and actually seeing it through and like seeing it all the way to the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that to happen, I, I believe you need to have a very deeply rooted motivator, which pulls you forward. I used to be a runner. Um, in the running world is a good example is a lot of people have this like, goal to eventually run a marathon. Now, most people, if you aren't, you know, athletically inclined, running a marathon is a two, three year at least project to really like build up your stamina if you want to run it decently and not injure yourself and so on, right? Mm-hmm. To get through that like slog and put in the hours and, you know, drag yourself out of bed in the morning when it's raining um, and do your like whatever 10K training run, you need to have a good reason why you want to run a marathon. If all the reason you have is, oh, it sounds cool and like my friends will tap me on the shoulder and say, man, like, you know, Pascal ran a marathon, mm-hmm. that it will not cut it. And the same is, I think is true for founders. And then, so really finding this like North Star, like why do you actually want to get out of bed? Um, and then the second part to that is the question, I think there's another interesting question to debate, which is how do you make sure that a founder or how how can a founder make sure that they not only start a project, but then like see it through and get it to scale. And therein lies an interesting problem, I believe, where some people can't. I very fundamentally believe that there's a very rare breed of person 
who can do what Mark Zuckerberg does, which is you go from like, you know, building the Facebook uh, with your buddies getting drunk in, in your dorm right. to turning it into like, you know, a venture back company, turning it into like the juggernaut it is today. Mm -hmm. Very, very few people can do this. And you know, still Steve there, Jobs. right? And yeah. be still there and still lead it. You know, Steve mm -hmm. Jobs might be another one of these people uh, or used to be one of those people. I think it's important to understand, like, where do you, as a person, where do you play? What are your limitations? Where does the joy also for you be, end? Um, you know, I have a really hard time thinking about being a CEO of like a thousand people company. Could I probably do it like intellectually? Yes, maybe. Mm -hmm. But I would just hate myself every day because it's like not the kind of problem I want to solve. Yeah. You know, I am a person, I'm I'm most happy if I'm surrounded by like two, three, four, five, maximum 10 people, and then I'm done. You know, the moment I need to manage, I'm like, nah, I'm out of here. <laughs> did so, that take time to know that? Like, did you feel yeah. like you've always intuitively known that? Or did you kind of no. have to try a couple? Okay, yeah. You have to try. I think you have to try. You have to learn it the hard way. But the, I, I think you can shortcut this by... Um, particularly if you're a younger founder, really trying to spend more time understanding yourself. Mm -hmm. um, find a, a bunch of good mentors and, and you know, friends who are like acting as a, as a coach to you, as a mirror, um, who can point things out to you. So yeah, I think you can shortcut quite a bit of that. You don't need to go the hard route of like really like running against the wall multiple times to understand what your limitations are or where you just don't like to be. Yeah. Um, but I think it's important to understand. And I think this goes back to the point you made earlier about like this idea that, you know, we see these people in the press and we're like, oh, I want to be the next Elon Musk or, you know, whatever, Mark Zuckerberg. And really, like, do you really like do you really want to run a company of 10,000 people and deal with all that crap? You know, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And good for you. More power to you. But most people don't. No, they're and they're you're right. They're They're getting hooked on the the symptom or the fumes that come from what that role really is. When I talk to founders, um, I'm actually meeting one with the end of this week and they're going to pick my brain on, I know just a couple things. And the one question I always ask, I'm curious if this resonates with you at all. Mm -hmm. They'll, they'll kind of go through and they'll start talking about what they want to do and how they want to grow to the next thing or whatever. And so they're kind of waiting for me to kind of give this like, well, here's the calculus and how you do that. And my first question almost inevitably is always is, do you want to go there? And they mm. they all kind of look at me like, well, of course I do. I'm asking you. And I said, well, do you want to though? I mean, have you thought about, like, I'm just telling you the way I look at entrepreneurship, I see myself as an athlete in this game called business. Mm -hmm. I go, and for some of us playing backyard softball is fine. Like, and, and it's enjoyable and you can drink beer while you're doing it. Like it's fine. But if you want to be the athlete that actually is going to go the distance on that, just understand there's people watching you. There's audience folks that are going to pay tickets to come watch you play. And there's an enormous amount of responsibility growing and scaling a business. I'm just, if you're okay with those things, then let's talk about that path. But if not, a family shop, I mean, it used to be cool to have, you know, a mom and pop that was two to three people and call it a day, you know? I, I couldn't agree more. Um, and again, I, I love the question you're asking. A question I ask, uh, which is probably similar, and I ask this typically of companies when they go on these uh, innovation endeavors, you know, I and mean, they're yeah. like, oh, we need to innovate and disrupt and transform whatever. And then they build their like labs unit because they've read an article about Google X or something. <laughs> and a question I always ask them is, because very often they have the same issue where this sounds cool, but it really is like once you get into it, you're like, ah, oh, man, this is actually not what I wanted or signed up for. And the question I always ask is, is what does what do you do when you're successful? Like, is this actually something you want like 
to think about and think about the pathway towards. A dear friend of mine, Maurice Conti, um, he used to run uh, uh, Telefonica Alpha, the moonshot unit for this uh, big telecoms company. He likens this to owning a pet tiger. So the idea is like, you know, there's Jonathan in his house and like owning a pet tiger is super cool. Like every one of your neighbors want to come. Like you throw parties all the time. Like the local paper writes about you. It's super cool. Like you want to have a pet tiger, right? But then you have a pet tiger and you just realize immediately, oh my God, wait a second. So first of all, they need a ton of like space and a lot of exercise. They eat like 40 kilos of meat every single serving. It's near impossible to get a vet out because like vets refuse to like treat them. And every once in a while they eat your children, right? So... <laughs> You're like, wait a second, that's not what I signed up for. And, you know, like this whole thing, like this, we talk a lot about this in my world, about this innovation projects, but the startup is the same thing. It's like owning a pet tiger. Do you actually really want to own a pet tiger or do you just love the idea of owning the pet tiger? I dig it, man. That's such a great analogy. I'm going to probably steal that from you there. Totally yours. Because it, <laughs> it's just a great classification of like what you're talking about. And my guess is that most folks that eventually do own that pet tiger didn't intend to, to begin with. They just kind of yeah. figured out the muscle memory to get good right. at owning one and built the infrastructure around it. But that was maybe not their full yeah. intention. Um, you know, it makes me think about, especially the world that you play with when you're also talking to a lot of mature companies. Mm -hmm. If, you know, a lot of them will probably, do they ever say something back to you? Go, okay, well, appreciate it, Pascal. But like, if we don't innovate, we're going to die, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, do you kind of say, well, it depends or what do you give them on that? Uh, no, that's totally right. <laughs> it's Darwinism, right? <laughs> you stand still, you're dead. No, yeah. absolutely, you have to do this. But I, I, again, I think the uh, question you need to ask yourself is, um, am I actually be okay with dealing with all of the consequences? Um, am I okay with dealing with the, the pain and the suffering which comes from that? Yeah. Um, and what is my ambition for this, right? I mean, for you know, bring it back to the startup world. There's people who clearly have the ambition and the desire to build, you know, a huge, big company, a billion-dollar company, whatever you want to call these companies. And then there's a whole bunch of people who say, you know what, at the very end of the day, I think it's totally fine for me to have a nice, stable business. I want to, like, build this. It's interesting. I used to be at Mozilla, the Firefox web browser, yeah. eons ago, and I had these uh, two kids. This is Silicon Valley, and it gives you an idea of how messed up the world is. So I had these two kids coming in, presenting me a business idea, wanting to get feedback. Very similar, it came to me, like they came to you just, you know, like picking my brain. And the idea was dumb. So I told him, like, I'm like, this is not a good idea. You shouldn't do it. Here's the, all the reasons why. We did the whiteboard thing, et cetera. And in the course of our conversation, I asked him, what else are you doing, actually? And this is this early days Facebook, right? So when Facebook just started opening their API, so you could build these little apps on Facebook. And they were, yeah. you might remember, they were super successful. And they told me, well, we have this little dating app on Facebook. And I was like, that's cool. And they're like, yeah, I will monetize it, you know, make a little bit of money. And they were very hesitant. They basically said, like, you know, it's a lifestyle business. And they made it sound like this is something to be ashamed of, you know, as in that's not Silicon Valley. In Silicon Valley, we build billion-dollar companies, not lifestyle businesses, right? Yep. And, you know, I, I got super curious. I was like, so how much money are you making with the lifestyle business? And they're like, no, 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 it's a lifestyle business. You know, like, didn't want to answer the oh, they question. They didn't even want to tell you, yeah. Yeah. And I kept asking them, I was like, how much money do you make with your lifestyle business? And they're like, well, you know, it's like we spend about four hours a week on the business. I'm like, that's great. Like, that's nothing, right? How much money do you make? And then eventually they caved in. Again, they were, they were embarrassed about it. And they said to me, well, we're making about $50,000 a month. And I'm looking at them like, you're absolutely nuts. If I were you, 
I would take those $50,000. I would to wait two months. I would buy a Porsche and I would just drive up and down Silicon Valley, like working four hours a week, you know? <laughs> I'm like, come on. But there's this weird perception gap we have, which is like, oh, we need to all be, you know, like we need to all be amazing. To your point, it's totally fine to play like some, you know, pick up bas basketball or something uh, with your buddies and shoot the hoops and, you know, like make 50 freaking thousand dollars while you're doing. I know it's a, when, Pascal, like, why do you think, how does someone de detox from that and mm. either actualize themselves? I know how I do it, but I know that it's custom tailored to everybody probably. I wonder if you have any insight on like how you can detox from kind of those external inputs that we don't even know. It's like white nose. You don't even know that's going on all the time to be able to kind of either confirm that, yes, this is what I want to do or two, man, he's right. Maybe just working with my five closest buddies on this thing we all care about is the way to live. You can't start a sentence with, I have my own way to do it, but I'm not telling you. <laughs> I need to hear. I, I want to hear your version of like, how do you detox? How do you like separate yourself from the craziness? Man, I go always go back. I call it reference points. I go back to these reference points in my, and I didn't even know they existed until I realized that they're usually associated with something very intense or traumatic or something. And the way that I felt post that and during are the things that I pay attention to. And, and I kind of say, what do I think about those? Some of them never want to do them again. Some of them, I'm like, that was extremely, like to a molecular level, very satisfying. And you find that that stuff stands the test of time. So for me personally, when I sit with myself and usually I'm going to the mountains and, and doing that, it's usually once a year I'm, I'm packing up for a few weeks and I'm climbing things and in the Alpine. And what I find is that I really enjoy certain things that kind of come together, common things, right? Doing something very, very difficult, almost to the point of like impossible, but with a team and mm -hmm. actually sharing some physical hardship as well. And so anything that's thematically around that, that's kind of where I base the core of like where I want to spend my time doing the things that I do. Um, and that's just one version of it. There's other things that I can kind of put in there, but that's how I do it. And when I do give that advice to folks, you know, they're like, well, I don't climb mountains. I'm like, well, whatever your version is of, kind of detoxing and then going back to those those things right and so the reason i ask is because i'm curious i w i do this better every year just because i feel like i got more reference points but i know for younger folks you know these 18 to 25 year old founders maybe not as many or at least they don't believe as many so this is why i'm curious if there's other things you think about I think you summarize this beautifully. I think that's exactly, you know, I would use different words. For me, it's, but it's the exact same principle. Yeah. It's really understanding like what makes you actually tick and what's important and um, what do you enjoy doing and what le gives you lasting um, memories. Well, thank you all for listening. This is the Professionally Offensive Podcast. You can catch us on all platforms. JC out.